Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Curious K podcast. My name is Colapo, and I'm your host. If you're joining us for the first time, Curious K podcast is a show where I meet with amazing startup founders, ecosystem builders, VCs, angel investors, and everyone working to make entrepreneurship thrive on the African continent. And today's show uh, is really going to be exciting uh, because I'm featuring Daniel Block, uh, who has spent the last nine years building blockchain solutions. He's currently the CEO of Seso Global, uh, which is a, a digital land transaction platform that facilitates secure, trusted, and risk-free blockchain land transaction between property owners, land service agencies, and financial institutions. Uh, Daniel has also worked at Bitbox, uh, which uh, is one of the first crypto exchange platform. And he's also co-founded another exciting project like the Blockchain Education Network, which is a non-profit uh, that provides uh, blockchain educational initiatives at universities uh, in over 10 countries across the world. Uh, thank you, Daniel, for joining us today on Curious K Podcast. Uh, thanks, Kalapo. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, look forward to uh, our discussion. Absolutely. Yeah, so Daniel, uh, let's just get into it. Uh, you studied biological sciences at the University of Michigan. So how did that evolve to you being a player in the blockchain space? Yeah, uh, for sure. So it's quite far from what I actually ended up doing. And I think uh, somewhere uh, you know, in the U.S. as to Nigeria as over the world is, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, what you study in university, right, doesn't have to really align with what you end up doing. Um, really what happened was when I was in school, uh, and like a lot of young people, I had not met so many people who had done entrepreneurship and really understood what the concept was. I had a friend in, in university who used to run around uh, like, uh, you know, our dorm in, uh, in 2011 and tell everyone about Bitcoin. This is when Bitcoins were $2 and it was the next big thing. And it was still like kind of early days and, and you know, didn't fully understand. But, you know, I really loved the passion and like, you know, like really seeing like, you know, first time someone who's really dedicated to, to innovation and entrepreneurship. And so, you know, really got excited and started uh, getting more and more involved. Uh, we talk more about through community meetups. And um, I spent some time uh, doing uh, fish farming, also a, uh, a passion. Uh, but really, I, you know, I saw this great opportunity in the uh, in, in this new uh, technology development, and um, and you know decided to jump like full into it. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you very much for sharing that, Daniel. Yeah. So, uh, like you mentioned, it was I mean, crypto was like the first uh, foray for you into trying to uh, play or understand the blockchain technology, right? Yeah, so um, I, I uh, with uh, a few friends from universities, one of the first uh, cryptocurrency uh, exchanges to launch uh, back in uh, 2011 called Bitbox, which was a, a Bitcoin exchange uh, uh, early on. Actually, it was one of uh, the Draper family's uh, first investments in, into crypto. Um, and, and, and so really, you know, saw, uh, you know, a lot of excitement there. I started hosting meetups, which was what turned into the, the Blockchain Education Network. And we looked at, you know, at first it's really just the, the crypto space, but I think a lot of aspect of, you know, uh, security, what the blockchain can bring, peer-to-peer -peer transactions. 
Uh, you'll remember when videos started coming out about land rights around sharing documents such as titles on the blockchain. And then this really led to the focus of, wow, you know, what else could we do with this? Um, and so, you know, really, you know, I think it's like anything. Once you uh, go down the, the rabbit's hole, you know, like Alice in Wonderland, you start saying, you know, what else can be applied and what else is happening? And, and it is what I think is amazing about technology right now is that these aspects are so new. So we're really only looking, you know, 10 years uh, or like what, 11 years, uh, only a, a bit over a decade since, uh, you know, Bitcoin coming out. And we've seen now, you know, a huge industry develop and we're still only at the early stages. What's your role? Can you just tell us uh, what was it like working at Bitbox? What was the process like? Uh, were you part of the founding team of Bitbox or did you join at a point? That yeah, so, uh, yeah, I was one of the, the founding team members and um, with uh, the founder, Kennard uh, Hockenhall, who's uh, now living in San Francisco, really a, say, a crypto visionary from uh, very early days. Uh, and, uh, and, and our developer, uh, the lead developer and the co-founder of the company, Cameron Hajazi, actually now runs a very successful NFT platform called uh, Scent.co. Which is one of the, like the the top and like you know really uh, groundbreaking in the NFT space. They sold Jack Dorsey's tweet recently. Um, so we were actually in the early days setting up a mining pool. Um, so I was working with people, educating them around Bitcoin, uh, and, and explaining to what mining was, getting them involved in the, in the mining pools, uh, which is really around uh, you know technology that helps you process transactions and gets Bitcoins in return. So really through engaging the, the community and start building up uh, the, 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 the mining, we saw, you know, uh, that the meetups could really do a lot in the space. You know, I wish I could say now I had all the Bitcoins from them and was living, uh, you know, to that to, you know, Bitcoin billionaire. But unfortunately, back at that time, we would <laughs> spend most of our Bitcoins on Bitcoin mining equipment. Wow. So at the end, we, end up, we ended up with mostly just like useless uh, hardware boxes. Mm. As, uh, Exciting time. Interesting journey, right? And uh, so at what point uh, did you, uh, like, start building Seso, all right? Like, why did you think, okay, right now you've played in the mining, you've educated people about what blockchain is and all that. So why did you want to focus on land rights using blockchain technology just to create transparency in that space? Yeah. Um, so great question. And, and I can explain how like, the transition really came about. And um, so, you know, really looking at, I would say me, I'm, a, I'm really someone who's passionate about technology, technology that can really be transformative and, you know, impacting lives, you know, bringing, uh, you know, impacting, uh, you know, uh, real economies and really, uh, you know, growth of, uh, of nations. And so we're looking at different, you know, blockchain utilizations. I was running meetups in Michigan. I found out about other universities having meetups. We created this organization that's, as you mentioned, still around today, the Blockchain Education Network. First, it was just in the U.S. and Canada, but then schools joined around the world. And we had universities from Ghana, from Kenya. And would, would really, we were discussing with uh, our, our, our colleagues there about what were the opportunities, what could be done. And, and at that time, there was a lot of focus around how blockchain could be used in land rights. There was this uh, very impactful video uh, that was made by an co- early crypto company or blockchain company called Factum that was around how uh, blockchain could be used to secure uh, the land rights. And so we're having events in Ghana and Kenya, kind of exploring different use cases. Uh, fortunately, I was, I, I, I was applying for a lot uh, for grants 
which is something I, I encourage any entrepreneur to. It's really a numbers game to make sure you're always writing grants, always applying for competitions, really, you know, putting your, your, your name and your, your, your ideas out there. Um, and we received a grant uh, to do this pilot in Ghana uh, with the Ghana Lands Commission uh, that was around a pilot of digitizing a small uh, area of Accra using uh, blockchain technology. The learnings from uh, this pilot with the government really was, is what led then uh, to building the building out CESO. Um, and we started in Ghana, but I'm sure as you know, we all know Ghana is, I think, you know, a great market. It's really, really, you know, it's growing very fast. But we realized like if we wanted to reach the scale, we really needed to have a play in Nigeria and utilize some of our partners there. Um, so it's been a, you know, a very exciting journey. And I think really... Um, you know, building any startup is really around like seeing what the market feedback is and pivoting, you know, the solution to fit the, the truly the, the problem statement. So what was the adoption like in Ghana? Uh, you mentioned you work with the light a ministry in charge of land, right? So what was the adoption like building that solution, educating people in government and villagers? What, what was the process like just trying to get people to buy into this technology? in Ghana and maybe yes. in Nigeria. Yeah, so um so I, I you know look I, I think um I was going to like the general philosophy on, on, on blockchain that I you know I think that the blockchain like anything is a tool like the internet uh you know it, it's a tool that provides you know uh you know that can be utilized to solve a specific problem. So with any blockchain solution there definitely needs to be like a thought of you know what how is this going to work though uh you know uh for the end user. Uh, you know, is blockchain really the end solution? Or is the blockchain a means to providing uh, a solution, you know, a technology that facilitates uh, a service? Um, so I think with any, you know, would say the blockchain, like anything, is not a magic wand. And we can't, um, we can't think that just having this technology is really going to solve, solve it. Because what is the blockchain at the basis, really? It's, you know, it's a, uh, we're looking at a secure database where the transactions can be monitored. Uh, and we can be ensured that the data put on is uh, the data put on. If we check it later, has not been altered, uh, and we can trust the provenance. But if you put bad data onto a blockchain, right, it's still bad data. You know, at the mm. end of the day. Yeah. And so, um, so with Ceso, we try to say is we we have the blockchain as a technology, but that's solving a service of providing an end user uh, with a, a legitimate way to uh, to, to to purchase. So when we launched in Ghana, it was a very you know interesting learning experience. We um, we did this pilot with around a, a, a few hundred properties uh, in an area called East Lagoon. Uh, we were working to build the database, uh, working with the government's registry. So I think they were very excited, you know, you know more around the digital interface, how it could work, easily retrieving the properties, and really you know providing assurance that the the blockchain technology would be an enhancement. Right than say a normal uh, 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 land digitization system, and so we did a small area. But if we look at you know the the real uh, problem statement of why we are trying to digitize the the registry, which is around um, making it easier to buy property, making it easier to uh, get a mortgage, and what you find right is that the the land registry is not really the uh, the full solution because you can look at things in Ghana. Like in Nigeria, clients would come to us and say, okay, we can see that the documents are here, but how can we trust that the property is built correctly, 
right? That you can have a perfect title, but not, uh, you know, be aware that the wiring was done wrong and the house catches on fire or that the materials were not built right and it collapses, right? So really there needs to be a lot of provenance and uh, and how, uh, you know, we figure out not just, just the land registry, but all the pieces that can bind into a, uh, into a, uh, into a property. So kind of this experience uh, with the registry led us to seeing that potentially that this would, uh, you know, the solution could better be served as a private selector, uh, private sector solution. So the research, you know, we'd say that we, we, we piloted it and was a success for what we were trying to do, but it didn't really solve that end problem of, you know, making it easier to buy, making it easier to, for banks to lend. So that really led us to, to launching Sesso, and what Sesso really does is works with, uh, you know, the, the the property developers, those who are trying to build providence, you know, who are trying to show not only the title is good, that, that the materials they good are used, that the architect they good is used, that have the proper building plan, and so that's really the learning from Ghana led us to building Sesso, which is more a holistic solution, bringing together the property developers the law firms that can provide searches and verifications, the architects, the mortgage banks, so we can build a registry through active transactions. And that's what's so exciting about the blockchain is that as these, as these different parties transact, as a lawyer adds verification, as the valuer does a valuation report, you can build out the registry through uh, you know active participation. So right now, can you just... Uh share with us uh, because now you have like private uh, sector players on board uh, so as an individual right now in Nigeria can I go on Cecil platform to purchase uh, by building yeah definitely great question so of course you can go on the Cecil website or download our app on Android or iOS and you can view properties available in Ghana and in, in, in Nigeria Nigeria we're operating in uh, in Lagos and so we have uh, we have higher end properties. We have uh, more affordable housing. We have land options that people can uh, that people can purchase. And so um, really like a full um, a full array of options. Uh, and so what you can be assured of though, if you go to Sesso, is that we've done the verifications on these properties. We've uh, we we've checked the titles. We've seen the properties in person. Not just anyone can list on the Sesso platform. Only verified property developers uh, can come onto the marketplace. And not only can you find the properties, right? You can find uh, law firms, uh, partners like Banro and Igadalo, Udo Dumabelasagi, well-known firms in, in Ghana, banks like Standard Chartered, who understand the Sesso process. And now they say, we want to offer services on these properties. Great. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think the, the, the importance of or the essence of blockchain technology is trust, right? Uh, it, it tries to protect the integrity of whatever data or whatever uh, information you put on the platform. And that's what Seso uh, is trying to do, right? Because I'm coming on the platform. I know any property or any land I'm looking to acquire has been verified. Exactly. So you can build that confidence. And what we say is that long term, if you're participating in Sesso, if you as a developer are listing your properties, if you are a buyer is making transactions or hiring a lawyer, what you're doing as well is you're actively participating in the building of this digital registry. 
And what we hope long term, and look at our, what we say, like our vision down in the future is that as we have more property developers, more people listing their properties on the SESO platform, we can go to government and say, look, we are here with the private sector, with the property developers, with the banks, the law firms, all of the buyers who have already been a part of this. And they, they too now have their profiles on SESO where they can manage their title and their documents. We can go to the government and say, look, the platform has already been digitized and it's been, the land registry has been digitized by the community and we just want you to adopt the registry or at least use it as a starting base to make it easy for government, right? Um, and so what we hope long-term is that as more and more participators come, this can become a service that the government can also leverage to say, here's access to all the developers, all the players that, uh, you know, I- uh, I can I can key in with. So let, let's talk about funding, right? Uh, at a point you mentioned grants. I mean, I mean, you started uh, based on a grant you received uh, with your partnership with the land ministry in Ghana. So at what point did you did you start raising money? Have you have you raised? Can you just tell us about? That? Yeah, definitely. So we've raised two rounds. Um, you know, which you were fortunate, to, you know, to have closed, and uh, you know, took some time over the years. Uh, the, the first one was yeah, really uh, kind of uh, um, family offices uh, that we you know, we had connected with a family office in Ghana, a family office in South Africa, and uh, several angel investors when we launched in 2018. Uh, Cecil's raised about a million dollars to date over the, the, the several rounds. And then we recently closed a round last year, our pre-seed round uh, funded by uh, uh, Keppel Africa Ventures, uh, several uh, notable angel investors such as uh, Ibrahim Sangha, um, who's an active angel uh, based in Egypt, uh, and, and several others. So um, I would say that, you know, it definitely, you know, took some time and it's like any, uh, uh, you know, I, I would speak to, I think others would agree the same that you, you really need to talk to a lot of people. And I think, you know, what's, you know, and I do think uh, when best, what we've been fortunate to have is people who are actively involved in the real estate industry in Africa, you know, understand the potential and, uh, you know, be involved in the, uh, in these, in these past two rounds. Great. And um, can, can you just give us a range in terms of timeline to when you started the conversation to when you closed uh, the seed the round? Yeah, definitely. Um, so um, so this past re- re- this last seed round, so it took almost a you can say like almost well, especially with a pandemic, we had to delay a little bit almost uh, or a bit over a year. And so and I would note that even some of the investors that joined the round, were people that I had met years before and that I had reconnected with. So it already kind of had met in the past and, and re-engaged. And, um, you know, some or we, we advised, like I said, so some like early prop tech. So I would also say if any prop tech companies, you know, in Africa are, are listening to the podcast, you can reach out. And, you know, we, we like to, you know, we're trying to really grow the, the prop tech community and, and be active, uh, you know, in those we can uh, uh, collaborate with. And, and help grow. And I think everyone say that you definitely would need, you know, maybe especially in an industry that's early on, like a uh, prop tech, um, you know, maybe at least six months to a year to, to raise the round. You know, we also did some of the, the investment as rolling investment, which I would also think, you know, most uh, entrepreneurs would, would definitely agree with is that, you know, if there also are investors that want to maybe invest before the round closes, you know, to do the best to, you know, to get those people, especially if they're impact investors to, uh, 
to maybe invest, put their money in early while the round right is still closing. All right. Thanks for sharing that. Because, I mean, I, I work with quite a number of entrepreneurs and trying to let entrepreneurs, early stage businesses, understand the funding process because it can be it can be tiring at a point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a you know, thing. I have conversation with some entrepreneurs. I'm like, wow, wow, this is taking me so long. What is happening? I've been having conversation. You're telling me to send in documents. I've been sending documents. What is happening? You know, I mean, it's just, I just think it's important for, for people to understand it's take time. There isn't for patience. But as entrepreneurs, I mean, you want to move very fast as well. You know, so there is need for that balance you know, when trying to raise uh, funding. And, and like you mentioned, I mean, this came from the relationship you've built over the years and uh, for people that are also interested in the real estate industry. So there is a, uh, there is a match and you, you also have uh, founders market fit, so to say, in that you've been a player in that space as well. So you've had years of experience uh, building a crypto exchange and evolving into building so so I, I just think it, it's important for for startup founders to understand the the importance of bringing these pieces together uh which will help uh fundraising uh in the long run of course and i couldn't agree more exactly i was even shocked and you know when we started like you you see things on tv in the movies and everyone's how things move so fast and even sometimes in America, you can see how, like, you know, potentially, at least as the way it seems on the news, that companies just start and raise money, you know, like, out of nowhere. But I definitely think even with those, it's really a long process. And even startups that, like, announce in stealth and raise, a lot of them have built these relationships up over years. So it's very important for, I, I would say, any startup to, to agree, like you're saying, be optimistic, you know, know that you might have, I think the stat is, you know, you probably are going to get one investor out of every 200 you talk to. So, you know, be up there and, 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 and be willing to ask, you know, a lot, sometimes some of our best investors have been, uh, you know, intros from other investors who said no. You know, they said it wasn't right for me, but ask, you know, you asked me that, is there anyone in your network that you could introduce us to and really build out those relationships? So, and that's why with anything, you know, unfortunately in the, in the startup game or in the, in the you know, entrepreneurship game that there's no way to really replicate like years of you know, experience and network. So, you know, with that, the best thing to do is, you know, it's say looking back, you know, I moved to Nigeria in, uh, in, in, uh, in 2017, you know, it's really to be patient and, and be active, attend events, you know, I, you know, participate in events, meet people, you know, maybe understand that, you know, someone could be an investor, but maybe, you know, connect with them on a personal level and get to know them, you know, over, over time. Um, and that's what I also think is very exciting about the, uh, you know, the, the space in, in Nigeria right now is growing so fast. You know, entrepreneurs are now becoming investors. We look at like E, we look at, you know, the, the, the Paystack guys and so many. And so it's a great opportunity where there's a lot of access, whereas maybe in America there's more happening, but it might be harder to, you know, to, to find these people in Silicon Valley and meet them. Whereas Nigeria right now, it's a very open event, it's very open, a lot of events, a lot of opportunities to, to participate uh, just by showing up. Great. Yeah. So, I mean, last year was like one of the biggest year for startups in Africa, right? Uh we raised over over four billion US dollars was raised in investment. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of the growth of of investment in the startup space in Nigeria, fintech, and Africa generally? Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, uh it's so exciting, you know, and I, of course, like uh, I I, uh, 
I actually at first attended, I was a part of Tech Stars in, uh, in, in Cape Town in, in South Africa in 2016. And you can see it at that point in 2016, like, you know, very, uh, you know, things really just starting, very few funds really considering Africa in that end. And, and, you know, and, and so now it's, you know, everyone, you know, I think all major uh, investors, if, you know, any, if, if Africa is not part of your plan as a global company, right, then your plan is probably not going to work out successfully. Or, you know, people are looking at how they can update, you know, their strategies and plans. And so I think it's definitely to be expected because, you know, with the highest population, you know, uh, you know, growth, uh, you know, so much young, you know, talent, uh, you know, really innovative ideas. And I remember even when I first, uh, you know, started with our crypto club, and, and this is in, in 2013, and I was at our clubs in Kenya were telling me about M-Pesa, and I'm like, wow, like, we don't even have anything like that in America. And so I also <laughs> think it's a, you know, a great opportunity where, you know, we're starting, to, I, think, I think this year, what's going to happen, also with the amount of funds, what we're seeing, and I think one thing we don't talk about as well, uh, we don't talk about a lot, is that, you know, we're also entering a phase where, you know, I truly believe Nigerian startups, you know, African startups are become leading global brands, you know, so I think we're almost at a point now where the top Nigerian startups, and we're already starting to see it, are going to make market entries into South America, into Asia. And so not just being like the dominant brands in Africa, where African uh, tech startups can start being, you know, dominant globally. And um, so, I, you know, I think it's only going to keep growing. But I think what we're going to see this year is, is definitely in the next couple of years is, uh, you know, kind of expansion out into other industries. So we have seen, you know, huge amounts of growth in fintech. And if we look at other markets, you know, like uh, in Southeast Asia and in South America, you know, after fintech, we see, you know, emergence often of insure tech, of, uh, of prop tech, uh, of ag tech. Um, and so really, you know, I definitely, you know, think we're going to see a large immersion right, of uh, also investment outside of the traditional se- uh, sectors uh, these next couple of years. So uh, in terms of building SESO, I mean, would, do, you, do you worry about competitors? You know, um, I, I think right now, like, you know, there's, there's, there's competitors, there's complement- companies that are complementary. You know, there's in every market, there's also people trying to sell houses. You know, you know, what we say is like, you know, I think the uh, the unrealized potential in the prop tech market is so great, you know, that there is room for many, many more companies. So, you know, uh, I think that, you know, there's you know, I think there's going to be time for competition later. But I think now's the time for you know collaboration at the very least, you know, just uh you know, uh, 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 everyone contributing to the growth of the market, right? Because anyone is maybe even a direct competitor, another marketplace to buy properties from, you know, is still contributing to the overall growth of digital real estate transactions, getting people comfortable investing and finding properties, you know, uh, uh, online, good experiences that that can be made, that can, uh, you know, people buy into companies that are starting with mortgage startups, uh, you know, or crowdfunding, you know, we give uh, we do some good work with like, give a shout out to like CoFundy and MyInvest, who are crowdfunding startups who've kicked up in Ghana and Nigeria, respectively. And so um, we recently even hosted ourselves. Uh, you can check it on YouTube. The first was called the Africa Prop Tech Pitch Event, where we brought together three startups from Africa and uh, a, a panel of global venture capitalists to just hear what's going on in the prop tech space. So there's also that you look at fintech, you know, every small fintech company that's now raising money now, even if they're doing payments, are benefiting from the growth of Paystack, from Flutterwave, from Opay, right? Because it just gets people more confident on the industry. So um, I would say so. So in the general aspect, I say yes, there's competition, 
but no, you know, it's not a problem because right now we're all building out the industry, which is, a, I think, going to overall be a win for, uh, for prop tech uh, in general. Great. And um, so I just want to know, uh, you've been an entrepreneur for years. Uh, what, what, what can you say has been like, uh, like your biggest challenge uh, or the biggest challenges you faced building or launching out? Uh, maybe it's your, uh, your nonprofit organization, Beatbox, Seso. What has been the trend that you've noticed building or launching our new product? Yeah. Um, yeah, great question. So, yeah, I have, you know, definitely seen different things overlap, a lot of similarities, and it's always great. I think I love, you know, talking with other entrepreneurs, you know, and seeing how things, you know, align and, 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 and really lessons can be learned. So, you know, some big things, you know, I feel like, you know, I've learned and, and takeaways is one is, uh, you know, extreme patience. You know, if you want to build a startup, I think as you do, so does a venture builder. You have to be patient, but also very active. So, you know, make sure you're reaching out, you're there. But unfortunately, things take time. So you need to be uh, you need to be patient. You need to follow up. People forget. You can't say, oh, this guy didn't email me, so I'm not going to work with him. You have to follow up. You have to be insistent. You have to make the case of why it's insistent. People say no. You know, convince them why it's a yes. You know, so really be patient with people. You know, uh, and, and, but still be, you know, uh, uh, active because, you know, nothing, nothing beats like having, you know, so let's say even you're trying to partner with a bank and you start now and maybe it takes a long time. But one good thing about a slow process is that you can use that time to build the relationship so that when you launch the product, you know, these people you've been trialing with, you've known for a year, you've known for two years and really have that mindset that things will take time, but you, you, you're willing to see through it and push it. Um you know, I think the other very important life lesson I've learned is that, you know, be very careful, uh, you know, and make sure that everyone, your, your team members are on the same page when starting. You know, definitely seen a lot of companies, you know, go down because disagreement with founders or I've had my own, uh, you know, experiences, you know, with that, you know, I've had positive, negative experiences building teams. And you're honest with your team members, you're honest with yourself. You know, yeah, I think it's very important to, you know, to give uh, ownership and equity to team members so people are committed. They're part of the, the building of the company. But you really understand people, you know, up front. You can say, this is where I see the company. Maybe one founder wants to sell it as soon as possible. The next founder wants to do it, you know, for 20, 30 years. But the conversation maybe was never had, right? Um, so I think, you know, team building is so important and building a culture in the team where people are, are dedicated, they're motivated, and they really believe in the concept. Um, so, you know, definitely, you know, I think, and I think that's what we're seeing why startups, one reason why they're so successful in Nigeria is because I think as we all know, corporate culture, and look at America the same way, corporate culture is not the best, right? People can be very dismissive to, uh, you know, to lower staff, to, uh, you know, really uh, maybe a very hierarchical structure. And then startups are coming on board, giving better work environments, experiences, office space, you know, flexible schedules. You know, we're really seeing people say, you know, maybe even if I make less money, I'd rather work for a place, right, where I, I, I like the people I work with. I believe in them. I'm learning. I'm growing as a person. Uh, and I, I, I'm, 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 I have equity. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a part of this. Um, so I, I think, you know, those aspects, you know, very key. And then the other thing I would always say to any startup is, you know, I, I've learned from mistakes is that you can have the most grand vision, 
you know, uh, you can have the most grand vision, but you have to start small. You know, think about what's the minimal viable project product. You know, what can I go out and see what the market is? Because I always think that, you know, you can do customer surveys. You can ask a million customers what they think. But, you know, oftentimes the best way to get feedback is to build the minimal version and get someone to use it. Because you really will only know when people use it and they say, hey, what about this? What about, you know, we add that? What would have never thought about this part? And so nothing beats getting it to the clients and uh, getting that getting that customer feedback. And that's why I'd highly recommend if there's any entrepreneurs thinking like, man, but I'm not even a software developer. Like, how can I get a company started? You know, I've seen amazing companies start, you know, and now these are things I wish that were around when I started at the beginning where, you know, apps like Bubble, I don't know, Bubble.io, um, which is a, a no-code platform that allows you to build apps even if you're not a developer. I love Upwork, you know, companies like Zapier and N8N, you know, no-code, low-code solutions, where at this point you can build an MVP, a great product, with very minimal input and monetary costs. So it's also a very exciting uh, time where you can really, and that's what's great about the, uh, you know, the DeFi space as well, is you can rapidly prototype solutions and get them out to the market. Great. I mean, great insights. And you mentioned something about uh, building the right team or trying to update, uh, carry your team members along. So can you just share briefly with us, what was it like building your team? How was that process like for you, making sure you have the right people on board as you scale across different African countries? Yeah, and so I'd say it's so important and it's very good to make sure like the visions align. And you know, we've had amazing experiences. The, our, our most of our our team members, on average, have been with the company for four years, and these are some of them now at this point our best friends and like some of the people you know I care very deeply about. And we all, as we're saying, we're building a family at the same time as a company, and so. It's very important, right, to have that kind of alignment, you know, and I always said that, you know, of course, when you, when you need to hire, you need to hire, you need to go out to recruit. But, you know, I've always found the best way to hire is, is one, you know, uh, you know, meeting people. It's always good. Even if people have a job, you know, ask them if they're interested. We've had many advisors. And that's the most common way people have come on as advisors to help us then have joined the company. So, you know, I think it's very good to, uh, you know, to look at for opportunities. You know, even if you're not hiring and you find an amazing person, it might be good to find a way. And I've always found when I've seen, you know, we've connected with great people that would be a part of the company. Maybe we didn't have the capital. Maybe we didn't know what the, the resource would be. But you've always, and if, if, if the person is interested and it's the right fit, it's always good to, you know, tell them, why don't you start as an advisor? Why don't you come in one day a month, you know, to give us feedback? Why don't you do a, a talk with the team and to start engaging these people? And that's really what's what's worked the best for us. So even when we when we came to Nigeria, you know, we 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 asked, you know, our, our contacts. Firstly, for you know introductions, also very good to get positive introductions from people you trust. Where you can get positive character, uh, you know, references and understand like what type of person they are to work with from people who know them. Uh, you know, because sometimes, you know, you'd rather have someone who's who's a team player uh, that maybe is not the fastest and, you know, most productive, but someone who's maybe the can do so much, but really is not going to bring good culture and energy to your team. Um, and so, you know, we've always found introductions. And then when you find the right person, finding that way for them to get involved. And that's really, I think, been, you know, something special and, you know, amazing people. I, I think, you know, the Cesar team, I give them, you know, all the all the all the the kudos and the, and the compliments for what we've built has really been down to the team who's like who's done that 
and, and, and most of our team has come together from, you know, people who have been friends of the company first and then joined the company, you know, people who uh, you know, work with us, bringing on people that they say, you know, they would be best for this role. And, um, and you know, I think it's an exciting time right now. And, and for anyone looking to join a startup, it's a great time to be, get in early, right? And really you know, be someone who can contribute, uh, try out different things, you know, like be willing to take on different roles uh, and, and really can build you know, a stake in a company that's, uh, that's really going to you know, move fast and, and scale up. Thank you for sharing that. So as we round up, Daniel, I mean, is there anything else you'd like to you tell us? I mean, are you launching a new product at Cecil? Is there anything exciting you'd like to share with us as you round? Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, thanks. So, uh, yeah, I would you know keep uh, keep track of what's happening. You can always uh, our website. We're always updating news. We have some very exciting products we're going to be launching this year. Uh, one of them being a, a very unique uh, mortgage product. It's going to start off as a diaspora mortgage product where people can borrow from abroad uh, to buy locally, and then it's going to lead into uh, more affordable mortgage products in the local market uh, as well. Um, so we're very, very excited about that. Uh, we we be, should be on the lookout as well. We're going to be, uh, Sesso is going to be actively involved in some property developments as well. So getting more involved from the ground stage. So to help build the documentation, everything uh, very, very uh, precise and, and really to the market from the ground up, uh, which we're very excited um, about. Um, so, um, you know, only, uh, good things happening, uh, ahead. And I would just say in general that I think, uh, the property market is, is really, really, you know, growing and throughout all the difficulties of buying property, we see the market continuously growing. So when people have opportunity to invest and, and look at, you know, what they should put into, you know, land options, property, uh, you know, always a, a good return. Great. Thank you, Daniel, for, for, for sharing all this. And thank you very much uh, for being on Curious K podcast. Oh, great. Thanks so much for having me, Kalapa. It was a pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening. That is Daniel Block of Cecil Global. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to share with your friends and see you next time. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.